Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today, June 9th, 2022, we continue with Chronicles of the Kingdom, Lesson 22, Universal Laws, and I want to also include that we are really entering into our third chronicle in our examination and discussion of the kingdom. I call this third part of this third chronicle entering reality because we're beginning to look at scripture and how we can practically enter into a kingdom reality. And what I mean by that is that there's so much preaching and there's so much teaching that covers theological concepts that are just that. They're, they're concepts. They're constructs of the mind. They're things that believers will nod and shake their head and they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have no value or practicality for life. Or they, it's a truth, but you don't know what to do with it. How do I live this out? I hear that I need to live in the kingdom and walk in the kingdom and experience kingdom and heavenly life. But then there's no actual practical how do you do that. So we're going to be moving into these discussions in the next few months, in the next few lessons. And I like to call it just entering that reality. And so today we're going to look at universal laws. What do I mean by universal laws? Well, we're going to start off with knowing and understanding that God has established laws that govern all of his creation. These laws are unchanging, by the way. They, uh, Their effects are very predictable. They do not vary. They are the same for everyone. Now, in our world of relativism, where everyone wants to think that everything is relative, there are some universal laws that are very predictable that apply to everyone. Gravity is one of them. If you jump off the roof of your house, it doesn't matter who you are or what you identify with. You can identify as a bird all you want to. If you jump off the roof of your house, you're going to fall. Gravity is going to pull you down and you're going to smack the ground. Gravity is a universal law. Um, I'm not going to get into the idea of science quite yet. We are going to get in there pretty, pretty quickly, but... I want us to understand that God's universal laws, we may have science, but his universal laws is before science. Um, his, his laws are there because he wrote them. And I also want us to understand that the God who made the universal laws can change or overrule them anytime he feels like it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I think one of the best examples is computer and computer games. You look at computer gaming. Uh, I know for some of the older people that may be listening for this, uh, 
this may be hard to understand, but you know, really there are people in my generation and lower, um, people in their, in their fifties, forties, thirties, they play video games. Uh, the younger generation, we're talking 20 and under, uh, of course they play video games. They, they've been raised on video games. It's part of their life. But many people don't understand the number of older people that grew up playing video games are still playing video games. And so this is a great example I'm about to give you. Um, when you have a video game, there is a world and it's set up and, and you interact in that world. And there are certain rules. There are universal rules the program is written in that conducts how you do things and and where you're allowed to move and how you move and and everything and there are these online games that 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 you can play and interact with and people get really upset and they start screaming hacker when someone has come into the game and they've obtained a program it's like a hack it's 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 altered the rules of the game for them to play and so instead of running around with everyone and, and maybe maybe in a shooting game or some contest, um, all of a sudden their player player is flying around. Um, maybe he never misses. Maybe he he's able to go through walls and things. And 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 people are screaming, "This is not fair!" But it happens. Why? Because the program has been altered. Now, with computer programs, there's many people that write, and obviously hackers are getting hold of the hold of the programs. But in the universe in which we live, there's only one being that wrote the program, and there's only one being capable of altering that program, and that's God. And God is not affected by creation. I, I often laugh, and sometimes when I hear some good apologists, and they're in these debates, and it's funny because... Many of the atheists, when they debate, they cannot get out of the framework and the idea that uh, God is above creation. They they all want to put God inside creation and therefore bend God to the laws of universal physics and creation. And that's why they can't believe in him. And they are correct. You cannot have God that's subject to creation. He's not really God if he's subject to creation. He may be a being of immense power, but he'd be subject to creation. And if he's subject to creation, he's not really God by our definition of what we're talking about when we say God. God is one who is above creation. He wrote creation. Creation is made for him, by him, and through him. And at any point, he can mess with that, the rules, as he sees fit. Um it's not a matter of right or wrong. He made it. He wrote it. It bends to his will. And so we need to understand that because obviously when we start talking about God intervening and the moving of God, he's not subject to these universal laws that he's created in our world. Now, he made these universal laws for a reason, and so he doesn't go around breaking them all the time. It's not something he does. That's why a miracle is called a miracle. It does not happen often. It's not something he makes a habit of doing, because if he did, then why did he make universal laws to begin with if he was always going to disregard them? Um, he doesn't. He allows things to play out. However, when he feels like... I need to interject. He does. And so 
Uh, we need to understand that. Why? Because we need to understand how if we want to have meaning, success in this life, how do we align ourselves with God's universal laws? Because believe it or not, we can align ourselves with them or try to go against them. Um, And we need to learn that moving in the same direction as the flow of God's design produces a good life. It's when we try to move against God that brings it brings disorder um, because we're, we're really flowing against how he's created things. Now, with this, let's go ahead. And I, I know I've, I've talked about this idea of, of science, <clears throat> nature. We've got the laws of science, the laws of nature. <clears throat> Excuse me here. We need to understand that when mankind study the effects of of God's universal laws, they will call they 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 call this study the laws of science or nature. Okay, so when we start talking about the laws of nature, the laws of science, we have to understand that the laws that are being spoken about here is actually mankind studying the effects. Mankind isn't actually studying the universal laws; they're just studying the effects of the universal laws. And therefore, they're going to call that science or nature. And so, in doing so, what we have to understand is that there are things, because science and nature, those laws are just the study of effects, do not really get into the root core. And so, there are certain things that cannot be understood by man. And those are always referred to as mysteries or mystery laws. So we see in the New Testament when we start talking about those mysteries, again, we talked about the figurative language of the gospel, lesson one and two, talking about the mysteries of God. We also have to understand these mystery laws are there, and they're not a mystery. Again, this is a review of those first two lessons. God's not hiding anything from us. That's that's the occult uh, teachings, doctrines of demons, is that there's secret power out there and ooh, God doesn't want you to know no that's, that's not what it is the, the idea of the mystery is that it is it is a law it is a concept it is an understanding that you cannot obtain through science and nature it is something you can only obtain by understanding God and how God creates things and so and understanding that we understand that when it comes to secular education um Secular education just studies the effects of universal laws. It's just the effect of what what, what it's seen and encountering. That's what makes it secular. So when you look at physics and biology, botany, chemistry, psychology, engineering, agricultural, medicine, electronics, all this stuff is just the effects of what God has already established in his universal laws. And they'll always, although there may be deep truth to them, they're always partial truths. Because apart from God, you can never have the whole truth. And you'll never get uh, to really the bottom of things. And that's why you see this drive in science and people that are very science-minded and this drive to know, to know, to know. And no matter how much knowledge they acquire, it's never enough 
there's always, ooh, we discovered this, but now we got to, why is this? And they have to go deeper and deeper. And it never ends. And it never ends because you're studying the effects of an infinite God. You're studying the effects of an infinite God who's put in order universal constants. And so without acknowledging the universal God, you're trying to discover the end of infinity. You know, infinity is this concept that goes on forever, but you think there's an end. And so you're looking for the end of an infinity, which doesn't actually exist. And it just, it just goes on. And that's, that's, that's the finiteness of science and nature or secular education. It, 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 it will always leave you unfulfilled. It will always lead you to another question, to an unending quest, because there's never an answer, because the answer obviously rests in God. And as a secular concept, that notion is rejected. Therefore, there is no answer. It just It's just up there. And you can sort of kind of see, I'm not trying to get too philosophical at this point, but you can see what happens when you sort of kind of reach this point and why relativism has become such a large idea. Because when you begin to realize you can't reach the end, you begin to say, what does it matter? I can't find the end of truth, therefore truth must not exist, and therefore you just you ditch it without realizing, no, truth does exist because God does exist, and that is is the end of which you need to find. But if you reject that, then you reject everything else. And so, understanding that the the effects of universal laws are obvious. We can all see and, and examine and study those. But the things of the Spirit cannot be seen with human eyes and senses. The originating God. And so, therefore... We must seek the Spirit to understand all these things. You know, in John uh, 3, verses 8, and of course, that's not too far from John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But in John chapter 3, this is where Nicodemus sits down, and he's asking Jesus his questions that come about being born again. And Jesus, he, in verse 8, he begins comparing spiritual things with the wind. And he says, you know, you... you you can hear and you can see the effects of wind, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And and Jesus is using a natural, physical thing to try to explain a spiritual truth. And we've talked a lot about this in the past, about why Jesus uses this type of figurative language to try to explain to us who are not spiritual because we've been born spiritually dead. He's trying to, to explain to us something of the Spirit that we do not understand. And of course, when we become born again, when we become filled with the Spirit, God changes us. We, we now have access to understanding this. We have access to the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. But um, He's speaking to us because we're still grappling with our minds. Our souls is still grappling to understand this. And so He gives us these physical, figurative language to help us to try to understand that. And so, and knowing this, we need to understand that all true science researched to its deepest origins, it disappears into the spiritual. And it can't be investigated any further by natural means. You need to get to it by spiritual means. And by the way, I, I, it's easy for me to wander off and sidetrack. I, I, I won't to, but we see this today. There are so many levels of science 
um, that they're getting down to even the most staunch atheists begin to say this has been designed. Life has been designed. The universe is following some sort of design. Um, and that's why so many of them, the rejection of God, they're beginning to turn to the idea that there must be aliens. There must be some sort of a higher life form that did this. And, and I laugh at sometimes of this because they're so quick to, let's, a higher life form did it. So let's, let's reach out to what does that mean without the concept of God, who is a higher life form? Uh, he is the life, but it's, it's just this, this reach for that. And so this, this search for, for meaning that can only come from spiritual means. And of course, obviously, there are many cults. The many New Age religions that are waiting for this moment to seize upon, but we need to understand the truth. So let's look at some truths here. Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So here it says what? We understand. We have to understand this through faith. That the worlds were made by the very word of God. And that everything we see wasn't it didn't come from things that you can see. Matter itself did not come from something you can see. It came from something that's unseen. Colossians 1, 16 through 19 says, For by him, we're talking about Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it has pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now, sort of a mouthful there, but I want you to see what it's by Jesus all things were created. In heaven, the spiritual realm, all the spirit stuff, and on earth, all the physical stuff, visible and invisible. And then it says thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. These are all things that are invisible, but yet we can feel the effects. Even, even our physical rulers and the physical authority. You know, you can't see authority, but you can feel the effects. When, I, when a police officer beats on your door and says, open up or I'm going to kick it in, and he's armed with guns, you can see him, but you, you can't see his authority. You feel his authority. You can feel the effects. You know, the effects of his authority is he can kick in your door. He can pull his gun. He can do these things. When the government says pay your taxes or else, you know, you're not looking at authority. You just feel it. And when, and you may say, well, I see it when they arrest me. No, you're feeling the effects. The, the effect of the authority is the arrest. You know, you're, you're feeling the effects of that. Um, and so here is some of these thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, these things you can't see, but we feel the effects that were made by him. And it says, notice all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, through him and for him, you know, and in him, all things consist. So everything that exists, exists because of him. Hebrews 1, chapters 2 through 3, excuse me, Hebrews 1, verses 2 through 3 has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, I like that, it's a plural worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. God made 
all the worlds, and it's all held together by the very power of his words. This is why we need to understand and get knowledge of God. Without the knowledge of Jesus, it's hard for us to understand universal laws with, without even thinking about what are these mystery laws? What's, what's, what's the stuff that I can never see, but is there affecting me? How can I begin to understand? How can I begin to live life and live it to the fullness, to the abundance, if I can't get this? And so that's why we need to hear and obey the Spirit of God. We need to learn to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit produces a life fully in alignment with the universal laws of God. Think about this. Walking in the Spirit produces a life fully in alignment with the universal laws of God. When you're walking in the Spirit, I know we all think walking in the Spirit means I can walk in water like Jesus did. No, that was an example of Jesus saying, I'm the creator. I can alter the laws. The laws are there for me to establish so that there can be life on this planet and it can function in an order. But he's not bound. He's not subject to his creation. He made his creation for him. It's by him and for him. It's for his pleasure. And so if he needs to walk on water to do something, he, he can do that because he's not subject to that. However, He's put us in here, and if we're truly walking by the Spirit, if we're walking by the Spirit, we won't need to walk on water. Can you meditate on that a little bit? So many people that they think of walking on the Spirit means, man, I can walk on, I can walk on water, I can do these miraculous things. But you know, ultimately, if you're walking by the Spirit, you don't need to walk on water because Jesus walked on water because there was a need, there was a lack of faith, there was a lack of belief. There was a lack of understanding of the power of God. There was a lack of belief that he was God. There was all these things he needed to walk on water to prove who he was. But if we're walking in the Spirit, there's no need for that. You know, even most miracles. The reason you need a miracle is because something has gone incredibly wrong. And again, I believe God can do miracles today. But why does God do miracles today? Because something has gone incredibly wrong and that wrong dictates that God must intervene and override his universal laws because something is broken. Something is broken in such a way that he he feels that it must be corrected and he intervenes. That's what constitutes a miracle when he overrides natural laws. He doesn't override natural laws when it doesn't really affect his plan of what he's doing. His motivations is not ultimately broken. That's how come when we look at why doesn't Jesus today, I mean, when Jesus did things, it seemed like he healed everybody. Many times it says he healed everybody. But then it says when he was in his own town, not many were healed. Think about that. Not many were healed. In other words, Jesus didn't heal everybody every time. Most of the time he did, but not not always. When he was in his hometown, it says not many were healed. Um why is that? Well, because ultimately his plan, his purpose wasn't really being affected in such a way that he had to, to break through. Um, he's a, he was healing people because a, he was showing he had power over sin. He was trying to, to demonstrate that when he sacrificed himself for our sins, 
his words were true that he is greater than sin. Yes, we got the resurrection, but the reason we even paid attention to that was because he walked and produced these miracles. And he did that to show us his proof. That's like when he looked at the lame man and he said, your sins are forgiven. And people goes, oh, you can't forgive sins. You're like God. And then he's like, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or say get up and walk? See, we as people want to say, oh, it's easier to say I forgive your sins when we can't forgive sins. We can't, we can't do that. It doesn't really make things go away. But he's trying to show us that when he says it, it's true. It really does go away. And so, because we know we can't just tell a lame person to get up and walk and they walk. We're not going, that, that's not possible. It's the same way with sin. You can't just use empty words and sin disappear. But yet the power of the word of God that created the universe can. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they were forgiven. And then to prove it, he said, well, can you say get up and walk? No. Well, look at this. Get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And we what? We believe. We believe suddenly that when he says something, it can happen. So when he looks at you and he says, I forgive you, we need to believe that. And again, that comes from what? Understanding who he is. That's not a universal thing you can look at because universal laws is looking at it's a cripple. It can't happen. It's the same thing with sin. Ultimately, you with, with, with the natures, with the laws of nature and science, you cannot overcome sin. You can't. It, it, it's a spiritual thing. And so, but again, walking in the spirit, we flow with God's universal laws. We don't, we don't have to walk on water. Why? Because there's not a need there. I'm walking in the spirit. He's fulfilled all these things. If something happens and you need a miracle and this has got to happen, well, it, it might happen. But if we're walking in the spirit, we usually don't put ourselves in places like that. I know that sounds sort of weird. We don't put ourselves in places. But when you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God is a way of, of leading us out of trouble that requires a lot of miracles. I know that sounds, for the charismatic out there, this sounds totally foreign and unknown. The idea that if you walk in the Spirit, you don't necessarily need miracles because He keeps you out of places that require that. I know there's just so many teaching about if you walk in the Spirit, He puts you in places of miracles. Um, he guides your footsteps so that you prosper in ways that you're not requiring miracles. You're not putting yourself in issues that is causing disease to come upon you. You're not putting yourself in issues that um, is financially killing you. You're not putting yourself in issues because you're being led by the Spirit. I'm not saying that you, you know, you're know you rich, famous, healthy. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Spirit of God leads you into a, 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 a life that you can be content and, and, and prosperous with. And, and happy, you know, not, not again, when I say prosperous, I don't mean rich. I mean, you're just content. I don't know how else to say it. It, it, it. It's not like you're rich, but you're not hurting. You're you're in a position where you look at God and you just thank him. You're just so thankful for what he's able to do for you. Joshua 1.7 says, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Again, how do you fulfill the law? You fulfill the law by walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you fulfill the law. We can't fulfill the law in our natural selves. If we try to do that, we can't. But if we just, I just want to walk with the Spirit of God, 
just by walking the Spirit of God, the law is fulfilled. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law. And if you walk with him, his fulfillment is upon you. So let me get back to these deep and great mysteries we've been talking about and understanding walking in the Spirit and entering this reality. Um, in the scriptures, many times when Jesus tried to talk about the kingdom of God, dominion on earth, those sort of things, he spoke in parables in figurative language. And he, he did this to what teach us about spiritual revelation. How can we understand God? How can we understand what he's teaching, the, the flow of these things? If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, it says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the workings of his mighty power. Man, I, I love that. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. You see, we need to receive revelation and wisdom from Jesus. This is the key. These are like the practical keys to understand spiritual revelation. We, we need this. We know, of course, I'm using the words wisdom and revelation to define wisdom and revelation. Forgive me, but let's go ahead and do some definition. What is revelation? Revelation is the revealing of knowledge. So revelation is you're, you're being revealed information. What is wisdom? Wisdom is what to do in a certain situation. So you see, when he says he prays that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, he's praying that God would give us or reveal to us the knowledge necessary and the ability to actually know what to do with it. I know a lot of people that went and got uh, masters and doctorates and degrees from universities. They're very smart. They have lots of knowledge, but they have no wisdom. You know, the the more the more common West Texas or Texas saying would be, you got no common sense. You got a lot of book knowledge and no common sense. You can tell me about the rain and where the rain comes from, but you don't have any sense to come out of the rain. That's that's the sort of the the modern common uh, figurative language that may be used to describe the same thing. But um, I hope you understand what I'm talking about here. God wants us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can understand what he's speaking to us and what to do with it. It goes on and says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And I love that. You know, you talk about, you hear about the, the Renaissance, the enlightenment. And of course, that's very humanistic. It's like you're going to gain this knowledge, this revealed knowledge of, of the greatness of man. But God wants our understanding to be what? Enlightened. In other words, there's something about what we perceive, what we understand that's dark. We can't. And it's like it's like the blind leading the blind. I think I know what I'm talking about, but I'm in the dark. He wants that understanding to be enlightened. And then how? How do we get this wisdom and revelation? Is that you may know. There is that know what? Know what to do. Know this revealed. That you may know what is the hope. Of his calling. See, he's calling you and he wants to know you need to know what the hope is. What does that mean? And that hope is not the same as wish. When the Bible uses the word hope, we will often translate that in our mind as wish. No, that's not what the biblical word hope is an actual substance of something that's there in the future. It is 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 a solid thing that is there in the future. Today we think of hope as wish, like I I wish that would happen, but I don't really believe it. It's not really there. 
Um, it's not the same thing. I can wish to win a million dollars in the lottery. You know, what are the odds of that happening? Well, almost infinitely not happening. It's, it's, it's just very, very small. But you see, when you say you have the hope of winning the lottery, biblically, that would mean, oh, it's going to happen. You don't know what day, but it's going to happen. And you see, the best way to hope is this, is that I can say, you know, you, you, you hope you have a birthday next year. Well, you know you're going to have a birthday next year. As, as long as you, you don't die, you're going to have, and well, some people still celebrate birthdays after death, but, you know, it's going to happen. It's, it's, a, it's not here now, but it's a guarantee in the future type of a hope. You know, it's like little kids. They, 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 they hope they're going to have fun at Christmas. Well, they hope for Christmas, you know, all those presents. Well, that hope is going to happen. Christmas is going to happen. It's going to come. It's not here right now, but it's, it's a fact in the future. That's the biblical hope. So that we can know what is the hope of his calling. There is this future. Jeremiah 29, 11, God has given you, you know, a future and a hope. He's given you a future and a hope. Um, what are the riches of his glorious glory and his inheritance of the saints? You know, he's got something. He's calling us to something that is so great. It's part of that inheritance of what we get because he's adopted us as children. It says to know that we may know what? The exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. And I like this. God has great power that is towards those who believe. Now, God has power. And it goes, this is according to the workings of his mighty power. So there's God in his mighty power. He's got his mighty power. And out of that mighty power, he has great power just for those of us that believe. It's like the extra blessing sort of thing. Because you believe there's this exceeding power that's been dished out of towards us, toward you and me, because that's what his power dictates. Man, I could just go on and on the scripture, and I, I can't uh, because this podcast isn't supposed to be that long. But um, I hope you understand that uh, this revelation of God is, is, is so necessary. It's what's going to help us understand how do we walk in the Spirit, the, how do we interact with this universe is created, and it's what brings about the abundant, victorious, overcoming life. It's how we... Tap into walking in the kingdom. It's how we enter into the reality of the kingdom of God. So not everyone will hear kingdom wisdom. Not everyone will understand how they can transform their lives from ordinary to extraordinary and bring them into levels they can only dream of. Uh, Jesus, what to he who has ears, let him hear. And so with that, let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord that you're speaking to us, God, that today we talked about your universal laws and how you are above those things, God. Help us, God, to have ears to hear you, God. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, to understand what you're saying, God, to be able to flow and walk in the spirit as you've called us to walk and experience today. God, we thank you that you have a calling. You are calling us all to such great things. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can catch up on many of those lessons if you have not on ChristianImpact.net. And until next time, God bless.